Hey, what's going on everybody? This is your boy Yasuf here at Riding the Bench. We are officially done with the 2022 NFL Week 1. We're going to talk about some of these games. We're going to talk about the Colts. We're going to talk about the Eagles. We're going to talk about the Denver Broncos and the Seattle Seahawks. We're also going to touch on the Cincinnati Bengals and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So with that everybody, sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of Riding the Bench. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the Riding the Bench podcast, home of the underachieving football player. Shout out to all the subpar athletes out there with a great mind for the game. This is your show. So whether it be Apple, Spotify, YouTube, wherever you are today, thank you so much for being here with us today. That's right. And if you haven't checked us out already, check us out at the Riding the Bench podcast with the K instead of C in the word podcast on Instagram. And... My name is Asif. Across the camera from me is my boy Justin. Today we're talking about NFL Week 1 of the 2022 year. It is back, baby. We're going to get into the Denver and Seattle game. We're going to go into Cincinnati versus Pittsburgh because Justin's a Joe Burrow fan. We'll talk about his Colts and we'll talk about my Philadelphia Eagles versus the Detroit Lions. But first, Justin, right off the bat, bro, let's talk about what happened Monday night. Denver versus Seattle, Russell Wilson brings his boys riding into Seattle against the 12th man and took an L against a much inferior team on paper. And the epic, epic, epic buildup to this return met with disappointment for the Denver Bro. Seattle was jubilated. Very, very interesting way this game ended Let's dive into it, man, because I'm at a loss for words as to how this game went about. Because this was uh, not only like this for me, this was like a fun game to watch because I'm a Russell Wilson fan. As as but, am I, and, and anyone yeah, who's been yeah. anyone who's been rocking with us, it's no secret that we're pretty high on the uh, Broncos. And, and albeit win lost the whole deal, I think everyone had a feeling that this would be relatively competitive. Although I can't lie. I didn't quite feel that way before the game. I think a lot of people had that sentiment. I almost felt on an island when I was like, the Broncos are just going to blow them out. Maybe I'm wrong. How did you feel about it? I th- dude, I, I thought the Broncos were going to absolutely come out firing. And listen, I, I get it. It's like, you know, first game back with Russell Wilson versus Seattle. He's been there. Didn't, career, didn't play a preseason dry. snap either. Didn't play a preseason nope, snap either. All. And well, what listen, a situation. Not, yeah. Yeah, absolutely, man. Coming back home after, and like, he came in and he, didn't play great again like you said it's his first action that he's had in like you know a few months now and the the denver broncos lost 17 to 16 came down basically to the last play but we'll get into that just a little bit later but let's just do a quick recap of what went on in the game they came into the game seattle booed russell wilson like normal fans would do because hey you know what he left you didn't want to be there fans are emotional that's the reason why you're a fan Came out, right off opening tip, they score a touchdown on their first drive. Now the place is electric. Crowd's really into it now, even more so. And then the Denver Broncos, it took a little bit for them to get going on offense. They only scored, what, one offensive touchdown, I believe? Russell Wilson had that one, you know, the Jared Judy 67-yard touchdown. It was kind of a broken play almost. Jared Judy made a nice ball, missed tackle, etc. But Geno Smith came in, and he... Basically, for the for the first half of that game, came out firing. He only had two incomplete passes. He was like 13 for like 15. He had two touchdowns. 
kind of kind of came out and punched them in the mouth at first. Then Denver woke up, started coming back into the game, and some mishaps, so to speak, to this say nonetheless is just uh, how I would describe what happened with the red zone offense of the yeah. Denver Broncos. And I I do minute. I do want to be fair, right? Because I feel like. While we're talking about this game, right, Seattle did win 17-16. to 16. I feel like the whole conversation, I just get the vibe, and I know myself, quite frankly, off the notes that I have in front of me. whole conversation is really about, we feel like, about the Broncos, right? But I just want to yeah. give credit where it's due uh, before we talk about what actually matters, is that Geno Smith was yeah. incredible, right? He was. <laughs> yeah. At least for the first half of the game, he was very, 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 very good. Damn near perfect. I've never seen anything quite like it out of a dude like Geno Smith. Except Mike White last year, but that's besides the point. And right. with that, it's likely I think that, that would be one of the best performances of the Seahawks season. I might be wrong. Maybe I am sleeping on this team. I don't know for sure. Actually, I I do well, know for sure. Why am I sitting here playing the political game, Asif? I do know for sure. That's as good as that team is going to play, right? Here's that my thing. The best football. Yeah, absolutely. There's two ways to look at the game, right? Because you could either look at it in the sense that there were two fumbles at the goal line that essentially lost Denver this game, right? Mm-hmm. Or, and this is obviously not including the ending of the game, which we'll get into, as we said a yeah, few we'll times. Yeah, we'll get into that, ladies and right? gentlemen, don't worry. But I'm talking about, really, when you... T- I'm talking about people critiquing Russ, I suppose. Let me preface this. I'm talking about people that are going to come at Russ over a game like this, like, oh, you lose to Seattle, they stink, right? You can look at this one of two ways, right? Either that you look at that one drive where he wasn't able to punch it in where they threw it four straight times by the goal line, so be it, or the two fumbles at the goal line. I'm looking at it like the two fumbles at the goal line when you talk about critiquing Russ here, right? For a lot of people who are like, he didn't play great. Listen, Russell Wilson completed damn near 70% of his passes, threw for 340 yards, had one touchdown and no turnovers, okay? Brought them down to the one twice, and if you just punch that in, you know, they're covering the spread of the game, you know what I'm saying? They're covering the six-point spread. I might be a man who has more money, all things considered. Yeah, same. But, and with that, we're not having this conversation, right, about the offense sputtering. Realistically, anyone who watched it, maybe the numbers it didn't show up on the scoreboard. The offense looked smooth, in my opinion. I thought Javante looked spectacular. Melvin Gordon looked very, very good as well. I, I almost feel like I just slighted him by not using the word spectacular when I just used it for Javante, but it is right. what it is. We know who yeah. the better back is. I think Cortland Sutton is going to have much better games than that. He was getting a lot of targets down the field. It did feel like maybe there was a lack of... Um, I don't know, maybe just not on the same page. I felt like down the field a lot of the times you had Sutton. They took Sutton one-on-one a lot, quite frankly, yeah. on the outside when they had it. And it felt like those balls were coming inside a little bit. That sounded absolutely disgusting. But it is what it is. Cheers to that. It felt like Russell Wilson was putting those passes inside when I really felt they could have been outside. Maybe reminiscent of uh, Aaron Rodgers to Jordy Nelson type back shoulder deal. Or at least just not throw the ball inside. You had it on a couple of occasions. You had the one that was picked off, not picked off, should have been picked off in fairness, by uh, Quadre Diggs in the back of the end zone. And then you had another one where, I mean, it was just, you know, Cortland Sutton has no chance on the ball. But, again, I, I felt like the Broncos really gave this one to the Seahawks, which is why I feel like it's so much more to talk important to talk about the Broncos, personally. Yeah, I agree because, like you said, Justin, you said it at the, start, at the top of, the, of your soliloquy, Seattle's not playing a better game than they played today, or Monday night, rather. Right? They came out with adrenaline. They came out with something to prove, emotions, right? Geno Smith had the gall at the end of the game to say, they wrote me off, I didn't write them back, and then everyone wants to praise him like he's the freaking Messiah when we forget he's Geno Smith, everybody. That was so in that was Great a hard point. line. Yeah. That was a hard yeah. line by Gino, let's be fair. Yeah, yeah. You know what's also going to be a hard line? When he comes back next week and goes for like like 13 for like 35 with like 128 and like two picks. That's what's going to end up happening. And then we're going to realize, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's Gino Smith, that quarterback. Right. And oh. it's Seattle Seahawks. So That's fucked. That's uh, fucked. Uh, yeah, well, well listen, because you, you know what's coming down the pike. It's Gino Smith. Let's pump the brakes on it, everybody. It ain't like he's the second coming here. And listen, you said he had had a perfect half of football he virtually did we've seen that from geno smith before actually one of the few guys i've seen in my football career actually have a perfect passer rating in a game yeah he's actually did that with the new york jets in like one of his last games of his uh nfl career with them right so this guy can get hot at points but then we realize hey he's just 
an ordinary quarterback, just an ordinary guy in the NFL. Nothing special to see there. Uh, and as far as the Denver Broncos go, you, you nailed it right on the head, man. Their red zone offense was putrid. I mean, dude, they go 0 for 4 in the red zone. They had 12 penalties, 2 fumbles, just sloppy play. Absolutely sloppy play on the offensive side of the ball. Again, Russell Wilson at 340 yards. Maybe not his best game, not the Russ that we usually like to see where he's more on the spectacular side than not. I called him a top five quarterback in the NFL. He didn't play like it yesterday. You could chalk that up to emotion. You could chalk that up to rust. You could. We'll wait and see because we are high in this Broncos team. They have talent. They have a lot of guys who can get the ball in their hand to make big plays out of it. Uh, but man, oh man, rough showing for them in the red zone. Uh, and listen, like you said, you mentioned it. Russell Wilson, I think, in the red zone had twelve opportunity, twelve throws. And he didn't get a touchdown at all. And again, if you're a top five quarterback, who I think he is, you got to convert at least one of those throws to get points. So I'm, I think it's going to get better. The defense woke up in the second half. They didn't let up any points uh, at that point from there on. Um, and then it was just a lot of like miscommunication, just mishandling of like, you know, routine plays routine checks and stuff like that well that that was that was the the big thing is that number one they were sloppy too right you felt like the penalty, mm-hmm. i mean you know and again it's you wonder if it's almost a, a a good point to basically transition into the to the latter half because obviously the between the penalties and the last really you know the the last moments of that game um yeah. nathaniel hackett i mean listen first game <laughs> week one things I love him. The pedigree's there. And again, I will say, the offense looks smooth. I didn't think the offense looked bad. I, I thought no. those two fumbles are vicious. He put up 27 points. I mean, it's the real deal. It's a big game. You know what I'm saying? They would have had 30 points unless he missed the two extra yeah. points. You have 28. Offensively, I thought they performed. Do you know what I'm saying? I thought they performed. You have two running backs fumbling. They did what they had to do. They did what they, they had, do. Yeah. had to do offensively to win that game. I don't technically have questions about the offense. Um, and in part, that's really, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's system, what he likes to come in and do, I think works great with Russ. But when you talk about all those penalties, right? I mean, you got to blame someone. It's inexcusable. When you, I don't even know. You, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me. Offensively, what did they have? Like eleven penalties? Like it was like insane. And it, they were like delay of game. Yeah. The delay of game, and it felt like maybe for a quick stretch of the game, rested great. But there was a quick stretch of the game where I thought it kind of felt like Seattle rest. But I think it was just because Denver was committing the penalties. I feel like so often when I watch a game, I find myself in that situation. Where I'm like, oh man, these rested for this team, and then they showed the replay. And I'm like, eh, there it is. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, yeah, exactly. it, it happens. It happens to me all the time. So, you talk about the penalties, the delay of game, obviously, with the conditions, right? Obviously, the twelfth man, very, very loud, uh, yes, even more are. loud than usual for it's that games. So of course, the delay of games, you figure something there. But then when you couple that with the fact that they were taking so long at the end of the game to make a decision that ultimately yeah. was potentially the worst decision I've ever seen in my life, sports aside, quite frankly. I mean, there have been a, there, there have been a lot of yeah. bad decisions in the history of this world. I mean, we could go yeah, into that, them. I, I I won't. We've all went to high school. We've taken a history class. Some awful, terrible acts against humanity. I mean, you want to take that down to a micro scale and talk about a, a horrible act on your football team? I mean, whatever that was at the end, yeah. blame Russ, blame, blame Daniel Hackett, and I'm going to flip it around to you and kind of ask who you're putting that on. Um... How in God's name, with over a minute left, do you have three timeouts at the basically the fucking 50-yard line? Spare me the three yards, maybe the 47. And you end up settling for the second longest field goal in NFL history while only having used one of the timeouts with 20 seconds left on the clock. It was as if you handed an 11-year-old the remote to play Madden and they were just getting into football and, and like you were telling them what to do and they were panicking while it was happening. I mean, it was bizarre. Really, it was what it was. It was bizarre. It was one of those moments for me, which is scary, because uh, you know I don't want to be wrong uh, with about Nathaniel Hackett, but it's one of those moments. Um, to me, reminiscent, it just kind of has the same feel to it of like that press conference that Adam Gase had, right, where he came in mm. and a coach completely embarrasses themselves as to the point where you're like, my goodness, like how like. I mean, it's just unexplainable to, to be an NFL head coach and for that to happen. I, I Maybe there's an explanation that, that I've missed. I don't know if there's something out there I'm not aware of. Something with the microphone, communicate. Asif, I'm going to ask you. I mean, who do you put that on? What happened there? Uh, I, listen, I, there is so much blame to go around here. And you, 
Nathaniel Hackett gets a majority of this blame, bro. Like, I mean, like, it's unreal. You can't be you. It is literally your job to manage the game for the entire team as a whole. You need to know situations. You need to know clock management. You need to know who's on the field, who's not on the field. Everything about the team you have to know. And if you're the head coach, an offensive-minded head coach, mind you, and you're on offense with the quarterback who, listen, the Broncos paid this guy 240, what, $245 million? Right? That's Something the like that. that he signed? Something yeah. like that. He, they signed into a six-year deal. They paid him damn near 250 and you don't give him the ball with six. There was like sixty seconds left. Five yards. They were paying him fifty million dollars for every yard he had to gain in that situation, and they took it out of his hands. It's unbelievable, unbelievable. And listen, Russ deserves some blame here too. You're a of quarterback course. that's been in the league. Look, you're, you're a vet. You're a Super Bowl champ. You've been there twice now. You need to know to call that damn timeout. Don't let the clock drain down to damn near, what, five, six seconds left? You I, 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 I would agree. That's inexplainable. The only explanation I could think of is it's the damn instructions he was given by his coach. That's the only well, thing. Well, you know what? Well, well listen. If, dude, if you're at your job and you're doing something that's – and your boss tells you to do something that's – obviously wrong like go curse out that client or something like that because i'm sure you're working oh. in sales you do marketing stuff listen you're not gonna yeah. do it if you're if, if you're driving the bus off a damn bridge you're gonna bang the left and get on the main road and not drive off the damn bridge russell wilson got I, I, damn time I, listen i agree asif but now let's you're talking yeah. about your job sure you make sense but what if it was your first two what if it was your first month on the job do you know what i'm saying i agree no, well this is no doubt. It looked like Nathaniel Hackett coached his first NFL game ever. Like, ever. Like, he looked like he didn't call <laughs> yeah. plays. It looked like he never Like, he never did that. Like, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh, 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 hold on. Hold, not, that no, is I'm not, that's what that is not like. fair. No, 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 no. No, no, no. I'm just saying, that's what it looked like in that moment. He looked oh, so, yeah, well, yeah, he looked like he was way over his head in that moment. Because I agree. Nathaniel Hackett, Nathaniel Hackett's a good coach, offensive-minded guy. He calls plays creative play. no doubt about it but yo you're the head coach you gotta manage the game that's your job description you could give play call to someone else hell you can let russ check plays at the line he can call an offensive here he damn near practices it every goddamn game with his fake two minute drill in the beginning of games he does it all the time let him do it every now and then you gotta call timeouts you manage the game nathaniel hackett three timeouts left 60 seconds fourth and five Quarterback, Super Bowl champion, you brought him here to convert these plays. You bring him here for fourth and five. Game on the line. We need the first down to win the game. And you let Brandon McManus, with all due respect, I like Brandon McManus, let him bring out the leg, 64-yard kick? Are you kidding me? And then, not only that, it's one thing that happened. He starts calling timeouts when Seattle's taking kneels, as if that's gonna do something. Like, it was what like a moron. It was what like an a, absolute buffoon. It was pathetic. Dude, it was. It, it was, was. It was a frustration. It was. It pathetic is the word, Asif. Pathetic yeah, is the man, word. That was. It was frustration, and, and again, it is. It's, it's very hard to explain. You just, and I'm speculating a little bit here and saying this, but you know, sometimes, listen, sometimes as fans, we watch the game. And as and when I say fans, I mean all included. Anyone who's not on yeah. that sideline in that moment and in those conversations, I'm talking about the people on TV. As fans, sometimes you look, all you could do is take a guess, right? I mean, oh my goodness, for him to come out, I was I'm so worked up, Asif. As this happens to me once in a while, I just lost where I was going with the point. I completely lost where I was going, Asif. Dude, it's inexplicable, inexplicable. And then he has the. Audacity to say, oh, yeah, we should have went for it. Of course they should have went for it. Should have, oh, this, and, this is, and this is what I was getting at. I think and we saw Matt LaFleur do it with Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship. Uh, whether or not who, that who, who was the offensive coordinator of that game? Who, good call. And it's a good call. <laughs> That's a great call. In fact, yeah. <laughs> in fact, checkmate, bucko. But I, a checkmate, bucko. But with that, let's just say for the sake of what I was about to say that that was LaFleur's decision. Because now, for all you know, you're bringing in a fucking wrinkle uh yeah right 
fucking detective uh, gadget. No, who is it? Inspector gadget over here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Inspector, <laughs> Inspector gadget over here, right? And um, yeah, you know, you look at as a coach, I think it's hard, particularly as one who, who has a job for the first time, is trying to prove themselves. Again, I don't know this is what's going on. I'm just taking, you know, I'm talking human nature at a certain point. It's hard to let go of that when you have a guy like Russell Wilson, right? You almost feel like the coach, he wants to die on his sword. Is that the proper terminology for that? Is that the saying? He wants to go out on his own sword. You almost feel like there's a level of control that a coach in that situation when you have an elite quarterback feels like they need to kind of stab Bruce Arians, Tom Brady, same situation. You feel like, as a coach, it's probably a tough situation to be in when you have this dude who's really kind of the guy, despite the fact that you're paid to be the coach. In many ways, most of the players are kind of going to look to him before they look to you in many ways. You almost feel like the coaches feel a pressure, almost to a de- not almost to a detriment, clearly to the detriment of themselves, to kind of establish themselves as like, no, like this is, this is on me, this is my decision here. And sometimes yeah. they'll make a decision that's maybe not the best practice, just strictly over the sake of having control of the situation. I don't know. But that's kind of what that looks like to me. Uh, I think they'll work it out. Again, I think the Broncos' offense was plenty and plenty of positives. It really just yeah, came down absolutely. to... Again, I don't even think it's red zone offense. It is. You know, the passing game is one thing. You're throwing it from the five-yard line, you're not going to get those all the time because it's it's tight windows. But you're talking the fumbles are very flukish at the goal line. Yeah, right. For, for me, very, very flukish. Uh, that's a 30-point day for the Broncos. So I'm not looking yeah. at their offense. But I am looking at the fact that, okay, Russ is coming from a situation where clearly him and the head coach had tension for... Basically, reasons of the fact it was a it was a power it was a power thing on both ends, right? Mm-hmm. We'll look at that right in the first game, right? The grass isn't always greener, perhaps at least in terms of the relations with the head coach, right? Uh, and, and we'll see where they go from there. I mean, that's very hard to um, not very hard to recover from, you know. If he just made good decisions for the next three weeks, I doubt anyone would talk about it. But I get that, but like, man, like it's it's, it's tough. Imagine that happens in the playoffs, dude. Imagine that happens in the playoffs. It's like a Pete yeah, Carroll man. throwing it at the one. It's like one of those situations yeah. where it's like, how in God's name? Because, like, dude, like, for NFL coaches, like, sometimes people, sometimes they get maybe a little too happy. Like, you're a rookie. You need a second to actually process things, so you call a timeout just to slow things down a little bit. You would think, you would think the guy would just call a timeout just to take a breath and be like, okay, listen, this is my plan here. And whether or not Russ is with it or not, then that's your call. Then, then it's like you said. Then it's like, okay, I'm the head coach. I'm co- I'm making the call. This is what we're doing. But dude, to let the to let the clock run down, and he's sitting in shotgun too. Like he's like they're like they they could have ran a play, and they just let it run down and so down, no, and then call. You know what I mean? Like it just it just made no sense. At and it's it, and it's no it's sense. it's really it's really to me. Less about the fourth down decision because it's one thing if you're in that situation. You have Brandon McManus, who listen, you don't want anyone kicking a sixty-yard, four-yard field goal, ideally, right? But in fairness to a fourth and five, it's not exactly a fourth and two, you know. When you look at the fact that you were just in the red zone, if your decision on that's why it's really not even about the fourth down decision to me. If you wanted to kick the field goal, this is fine because now if you just isolate fourth down, you take away all the context. Now you're like, okay, well, we're going to call a timeout with 40 seconds. If we're kicking this field goal right now, if we've made that decision already, you're going to call a timeout with 40 seconds or like 20. Okay, I get it. You're going to want less time on the clock, right? Because you're only going up by two points in the whole deal. This I understand. What I don't understand is, is everything before it. about the third down? I mean, he got yeah. sacked on second down, and then it's third and whatever, right? And you're not calling the timeout. This is what I didn't understand was everything yeah. before it. Again, if your decision – I think those are two separate things. The decision to kick the field goal over go for it on the fourth down is isolated. When you look at just that down, if your decision is to go into the field goal, despite whether or not you agree with that, letting the clock run down and then kick the field goal as opposed to calling the timeout and leaving the time on the clock to kick the field goal, that is fine. What I don't understand is how with three timeouts, you go from a minute 10 to 20 seconds and only gain 10 yeah. yards in the process and, and, and not use any of the timeouts. Yeah. That is what's absurd. That's yeah. what's absurd. Even if – I just don't understand how all the timeouts were there. Like, why weren't you using them prior to that fourth down, which is really what throws me off. Yeah, absolutely, man. It's, it's, it's like a deer in headlights type situation. Uh, that's ex- if he's that's good, exactly what that was. Exactly it, listen, that was. and in fairness, sometimes you just don't know until you know, right? So this is his first game, not just his first game. It's week one of the NFL season. And this, I understand, usually go hand in hand. But it's egregious. 
it's egregious, but if he's good, it will be it will be a learning experience. So I don't want to just come to the conclusion on him now, quite frankly. No, but well, that's listen, as bad as it gets. It's a horrible, it's a horrible it's a first horrible pitch look. to take. It's a horrible look because now people are, like like Denver Denver fans are coming for his head if he doesn't clean this, his act up because yeah. that's like atrocious. You know what I'm saying? Like like you're the, like as a coach, you have to know these type of things. Most coaches, unless you're Mike McCarthy. They, like mo- a lot of these guys have some basic clock management skills, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like this was just like a putrid display of decision making, one after the other, and like you. And for the Broncos, you think this is the biggest moment that they're gonna have that they're gonna be in all year? No, this is a team that's viable for the Super Bowl. People are picking them to win it. People, they're gonna be in. Big, big games where it's going to come down to decisions like that. Where it does come down to, hey, is this coach going to pick a decision that messes with the other team or benefits our team better? you got to be able to make those calls and decisively make those calls. Not lollygag and fumble and bobble the idea of, like, oh, okay, let me call a timeout. Uh, should I do this? Should I do you got to be decisive, make the call, and make a call that makes sense. It can't be inexplicable and then at the end of the game be like, oh, yeah. We should have went for it. Huh. That's your job, man. Like that's your job. You have to know that. Have to know that. Oh boy. Awful. So that's all I got. That's all I got on that one, Austin. That's all I got. That's all I got. That was awful, though. But hey, congratulations, Seattle. Good for you. Take a little sip of the water there. How we yeah, feeling? How we second. feeling? I'm a little, little less than a half hour into okay. this bad boy. A little. Uh, a little worked okay. up. I am a little worked up. A little worked up here. As a matter of fact, Justin, not only does this game have me a little fucked up, there's another thing that's got me a little fucked up. Hmm. <laughs> We're going to try something new here, ladies and gentlemen. I'm going to go on a little mini rant about something that's got me fucked up. On this week's edition of Things That Got Me Fucked Up, the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> now I know what you're thinking, everybody. How? Yeah. How in all of the weeks we've been here at Riding the Bench does Asif, the Philadelphia Eagle fan, have something bad to say about the Cowboys when they took an L? Well, quite frankly, ladies and gentlemen, watch this. Or listen to this, rather. Dallas or Cowboys both. Came... Yeah, both, rather. Both. The Dallas Cowboys came into the season... And everybody was saying, hey, this is the team that most likely is going to win the division. They have the best quarterback in the division. Despite all the moves that Philadelphia made and the moves that the Dallas Cowboys did not make and the players that they lost, right? We go into Sunday night. Everyone's hyped about this team. They're saying, okay, Dak has a lot to prove here. CeeDee Land's going to be the number one receiver. You're getting Zeke back, Kelton. You got Tony Pollard. This defense, Micah Parsons. You have Trayvon Diggs. DeMarcus Lillard. D-Law's there. This defense is legit. It's going to have a great year, right? And they played well for the most part. And everyone's telling me that this team's going to win 10 to 12 games. They're going to take the NFC East easily and get to the playoffs. They looked putrid with Dak Prescott at quarterback. Dak Prescott, they scored three points as an offense. 134 yards, terrible. Dak Prescott in the game breaks his thumb out for basically the, like a good chunk of the game. Not that the game was in hand. It was out of hand at that point. They bring in Cooper Rush. Cooper Rush has a couple nice throws. Looks good. Game's over. And you would think, oh boy, the Cowboys season, it's over. They don't got Dak no more, right? Wrong. The audacity of these fucking people. They come in here and they're saying, oh, let's look at the schedule. Cincinnati, Giants, Washington. Before our bye week, because Dak Prescott's going to be out four to six weeks. We could go four and four. We could go into the bye four and four, and we'll be afloat for the playoff run and win 12 games the rest of the year. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? You guys have Dak Prescott, the quarterback that you pay $45, $50 million to. You couldn't get a damn, you couldn't move the goddamn ball. You looked more anemic on offense than San Francisco did in a goddamn monsoon. And then you have the audacity. Jerry Jones has a quote here about Cooper Rush. He goes, look, candidly, we have to look at it, and I don't see how 
Now this, and I don't see this on the horizon, but I'm going to use it as an example of how I felt when Romo went down against Seattle and how I felt two and a half to three months later when you have to make a decision whether it's Tony Romo to start or Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones is basically telling you this might come down to a decision where I have to choose between Dak Prescott or Cooper Rush. And then these Dallas Cowboy fans are going to sit here after Cooper Rush had one moment in his career against the Minnesota Vikings, and they're going to tell me they're going to win four games, four games before their bye week, and then they're going to have Dak Prescott, after thumb surgery on his throwing hand, come in and win out when they couldn't move shit on offense. They couldn't do a damn thing, and they're going to sit here and say, oh, yeah, we're going to have, we're going to win 12 games, make the playoffs, and now we're live for the Super Bowl. Shut the hell up, you stupid freaking, oh, my God. Dude, nothing pisses me off more than the Dallas Cowboys and their fans when it comes to their unrealistic expectations of their team. This team, this team looks terrible. They were they would have been lucky to win eight games with Dak at quarterback. And now you're sitting here telling me they're gonna come at Cooper Rush and win four games before the bye week? And then Dak Prescott's gonna come in and lead you? Shut the hell up. Shut the hell up. That's what's got me fucked up. Because this team, they came in with the same damn problems. Four, ten penalties, four false starts, offensive line is in shambles, Mike McCarthy's over his head, C.D. Lamb dropping balls, Trayvon Diggs, he played well yesterday, Micah Parsons is the only good thing that you got right now. He's the only good thing right now that's going on on this team. And you got to tell me, oh, we're going to still win this NFC East division and we're still going to be alive for playoff teams. Shut the hell up, stupid fucking people. That's what's got me fucked up, Justin. There you go. There's your segment yeah. there. <laughs> well, all right. All right, everybody, time to take a deep breath, right? A little deep breathing. Let me lead through a breathing exercise real fast, all right, Asif? Let's get it. And once you're done with that water there, you see, huh? for the people watching yeah. at home. All right, in through your nose, Asif, right? Out through your mouth. Are you doing it? Yeah, I am. All right. I am. So, I have a question for you, Asif, as we promised at the top of the show. We're on to the next topic. What I want to yeah. ask you, Asif, you look at yeah. that Steelers versus Bengals game, obviously not the outcome that a lot of people expected, correct? No. No, not at all. This Bengals team, a lot has been made about the investment that they put into their offensive line, right? People have a lot of high expectations. Ultimately, for their offense, I think everyone is basically, and myself included, and I feel rightfully so, touted them, predetermined, whatever term you would want to use, that they're in could basically be a shoo-in for a top three, top five offense this season, right? A team that went out this offseason and spent $20 million on Lyle Collins, who's one of the, the big-time talents that Dallas yeah. had drafted yes. along that stretch where they were drafting offensive line. They added Jonah Williams drafted as well, and then there's pieces added there as well. I'm not a Bengals fan. I don't have all of them for you. This isn't like a Bengals coverage episode, no, right? No, but they addressed offensive point, line. Yeah, yeah. Point, exactly. Point being is they addressed their offensive line heavily. They then come out versus Steelers team, maybe a defense that some of us slept on, and Mike Tomlin, why are we surprised, right? Right. They allow seven sacks and turn the ball over off the top of my head like five times, If, if and that's yeah, off the top that's of my head. And I, that's the number, I, I would, think, It's five? All right, yeah. And if not five, if, if not five, it's more. Let's call it five. Mm -hmm. Should the Bengals be worried, one, about their offense, and two, or, or – Point being, should they be worried about the offensive line, right? I don't think we're worried about Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Joe Burrow, yeah, and the boys, I was right? I say. I agree. Is that mm -hmm. offensive line something to worry about? And maybe is the level of expectation they had for a bunch of young guns something to worry about? Because it did feel, despite the fact that he was getting rushed, and I love Joey B as much as the next guy, I would never come out and just speak against him. In fact, I would go out of my way not to. Yeah. It felt as if he was trying to... You know, there were just plays I felt he wouldn't have normally made, but instead was like, we're the best offense. We're supposed everyone knows this. Is, you know, the whole deal. I felt like he fed into the hype. He drank the Kool-Aid about the team a little bit. Little I felt bit. like there were some ill-advised throws basically just off the fact that he figured he could because, you know, it. he basically just yeah. believed what was out there and uh, yeah. was probably feeling like this was going to be fucking his final season at LSU or something like that. Right. But ultimately it comes down to the line, I think, at the end of the day. Right? So should the Bengals actually be worried about their offensive line? I would assume your answer is yes, but if not, please. <clears throat> um, 
I, I would say, I would say mildly concerned. Mildly concerned. Because like you said, wasn't Joe Burrow's best game. I think he came in there a little nonchalant against a really, really good defense. Even last year, uh, Pittsburgh's defense was one of the better one of the better defensive units in the league. And they have some real like top flight players on that side of the ball. Uh, TJ Watt, Fitzpatrick and stuff like that. So I think he came into the game a little too lax for my liking because like you said, he probably was feeling himself a little bit and on talent level, maybe the best offense in the NFL, uh pound for pound, the each position skill guys are like elite. Unequivocally the most handsome man in the NFL as well. Justin likes to throw that little caveat out there. I don't mind it either. That's okay. It's all whatever floats your boat. Um, but every now and then, Joe Burrow will have a game where he'll throw like multiple interceptions because, like you said, he's probably feeling himself a little bit, or he just sees something and he lets it fly a little bit of a gun to the mentality. But that's, rip, yeah. but, but that's also what makes him great, right? That's also what makes yeah. him Joe Burrow. Um, being sacked seven times, though, <clears throat> I'm still worked up from that damn Dallas rant, but. Being sacked seven times, uh, dude, I, I don't know. I tried looking for the damn numbers, too, because like we were mentioning it before the show, where these sacks came from as far as on which side of the offensive line. Uh, but I'm going to assume the left-hand side. But I think as an offensive unit, though, the offensive line gets better over time. And this is, like you said, it's a young group of – it's a young offense that we have here. And yep. they're going to get better game by game. And look, there's talent on this side of the ball, so you can only you can only go up from there. And it was against a really good front seven, like the, the Pittsburgh Steelers' front seven, maybe top five, top six in the game. So I, I don't want to say this is like a cause for concern, but at the same time, I put it at a five because the elite teams in the AFC have a pass rush. The Chargers there. The Chiefs look pretty damn good on defense. The Raiders, if they get their act right, they got a pass rush. The Broncos are a team. The Ravens, maybe Pittsburgh's in that mix. The Indianapolis Colts have guys on the defensive side of the ball that can get after quarterback. So there's sure. a lot of teams in the, the the Miami Dolphins, the Buffalo Bills. All these teams are in your conference, and they have a pass rush. So you have to you have to have to have to protect Joe Burrow. Getting sacked seven point. times, letting up, yeah, letting up seven sacks is not a good look for this offensive unit. I think it will get better because I also don't think this offense is going to turn the ball over as much as they did the way they did today. Because Joe Burrow himself had five turnovers, he had a fumble for picks, right? And I was about to say, one of these fumble, one of these fumbles is off a sack, though. Yeah, you know? yeah, exactly, exactly. And despite all that, they're still they were still in the game. That's maybe a lack of Pittsburgh offense. More of that. Uh, maybe later in the season, but you they get to overtime. Dude, he scores the go-ahead touchdown, tie at twenty twenty. His kicker, Eric McPherson, a guy who we thought like last year was money in these situations, missed the extra point. Then you get into the po- then you get into overtime. Pittsburgh three and out on punts. Joe Burrow clutch drive, nine plays, sixty four yards, puts it in position. All McPherson has to do is make the kick, misses the kick. Pittsburgh comes down, misses the kick. Cincinnati then just goes three and out. They get a punt. And then the Pittsburgh Steelers finally end the game on a field goal. So it literally came down to the last seconds despite the future performance on offense. So if I'm Cincinnati, overall, I'm not too, too concerned. But that offensive line, they got to clean up their act because that's not a good look, especially – when you made it a priority to address that unit. So, five out of and ten listen, is my number. We know it's week one, but the Bengals, defending AFC Super Bowl representative, are now the only team in the AFC North that started off without a win. That's right. Yep. Who would have thunk it? Maybe and, you, right? Against a, divi- you like against Ravens a division with... rival, too. Against a division, against a division rival, rival. That hurts. That hurts. It absolutely hurts. It absolutely hurts. Um, I mean, I don't have much more on that game, Asif. I'm not sure about you. No, the only uh, let, let me just say, Nick Fitzpatrick, bro, absolute stud, absolute stud. Came back, keep playing like he keep playing like that. Deploy, bro. That's what he's gonna be. Defensive I player of the year if he keeps playing like that. Unbelievable. I... Great game he had. Great game. Agreed, agreed. So for you listening on the other side, we've made it through two of the four topics today. So you could consider that something like the halftime of this show. 
And if you're enjoying right. what you're hearing here, you may enjoy sitting down with us for halftime of the 4 p.m. games, or at least 4 p.m. Eastern. Was that 1 p.m. in California? I would say so. And, uh, and if you live in a different country, you don't watch football, right? This Sunday, right? So while you're grabbing a beer, getting high, taking a poop, right? We'll be doing a loose, off-the-cuff type of halftime show live on Instagram. That's right. At the Ride in the Bench podcast with a K instead of a C in the word podcast. This is something we plan to keep up throughout the season. And, uh, of course, not just for that halftime show, but we have plenty of other content there as well. Uh, we're only just getting started, obviously, week one of the season, so be with us for the ride this year. And with that, Asif, I believe we work into the cult, so I guess I just have to keep talking. Yeah, well, let's let's talk about yeah. it, Justin. Prime, prime me up, NFL Asif. Season. Lead me in, yeah, Asif. Man. Prime me up. Week one of the NFL season, the Colts address their quarterback issue. They go from Carson Wentz to Matt Ryan. A lot of optimism going into this year. They bring some talent on the defensive side of the ball. They added Stephon Gilmore. They made some changes on the offensive side of the ball. They drafted guys like Alec Pierce. A lot of optimism in terms of how they're going to use Naheem Hines and maybe the workload with JT. And Matt Ryan being a veteran quarterback who's stable and calm, brings some stability there. Frank Reich may be the best quarterback that he's worked with in a few years now. They play against Houston week one, and Justin, you know as much as I do, the Colts love playing against the Houston Texans because they've owned them the past few games. And just a little side note, everybody, Justin has a little bit of a beef with the Houston Texans Instagram page. He goes at them a lot, and they go at him a lot. A little fun interaction there. But this week's game ended in a tie. Ruined one of my parlays, by the way. But 2020, 2020 game, they came away with a tie. Yep. Kind of bleh. Kind of yep. bleh. So with that, Justin, Matt Ryan had 352 yards, a touchdown. They had five fumbles on offense. JT carried the ball 31 times. Michael Pittman has a bright spot, had 121 yards receiving. A lot of missed opportunities in the game. Dropped touchdown passes from Alec Pierce, Ashton Doolin. Missed kick by Blankenship. Let me get your thoughts, my friend. Week one against the, sure. NF- against the Houston Texans, you take the tie. The floor is yours. Uh, we take the tie because we have to. And you do mention that the Colts love playing the Texans. Uh, they love playing the Texans basically just as much as they hate playing in week one, right? I, I think... Yeah. The, the, for me, for, for Colts fans particularly, I don't I didn't feel like this was like a nationwide type of story in the league. Uh, the Colts had two streaks coming into this game. Uh, you call them streaks. It wasn't like, you know, like like literally in a row, right? You're talking, right, 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 right. You're talking the past seven times they've versed the Texans. One and six the Texans were against the Colts, right? You're talking six out of seven times. But then you talk about week one of the regular season. What is that? Like they've lost seven of eight? Right? Yeah. So you have these two things coming and colliding with one another. Things that seem so unbreakable. I always, whenever someone says, what about this Colts week one business? I said, listen, you don't need anything else other than this right here. The <laughs> Jacksonville Jaguars in a season where they went 1-15 and 15 beat the Colts in week one. So if you need any understanding... About how she, And the Colts went on to the divisional round of the playoffs that year. That's right. If you yep. need an understanding of how serious this week one dilemma is, look no further than that season against the Jacksonville Jaguars, led by Garner Minshew, throwing to, uh, <laughs> throwing to LaVisca Chenault, yeah. and, uh, and, and, Alan, and literally like Marquise Lee, uh, who I liked at a time, but it's clearly I've been proven wrong. With that... The 31 carries to Taylor. I was, I'm, I'm trying to just knock these down one by one because there's a lot here. Like, the tie yeah. sucks. There's a, there's right? a the lot tie there. sucks. But, ba- but based off of those two streaks, it almost feels like, why the fuck didn't I bet the tie? It just makes perfect yeah. sense off of, <laughs> off, of, off of degenerate gambler logic. What great sense would it make? It just couldn't be, neither could be broken. They're both just so unbelievably strong that they just clash <laughs> and just met, and they just met in the middle with a tie. And they just. There's just nothing. In, in, in hindsight, it feels like I should have known. Uh, so with that, I feel a little duped. Regardless, Colts fans, what stinks and what we all know stinks is it's much of the same that we saw in the preseason. I think a lot of us were very worried about what we, and some vocally, some not, but everyone was worried about what we saw in the preseason uh, because the Colts really gave us a good look, right? We were just talking about a team like the Broncos before who didn't, Russell Wilson didn't play a snap. 
I mean, his fingers never tickled the bottom of his center's balls once. You know what I'm yeah, saying? Right, right, right. It, ne- it, it never happened. Matt Ryan and Ryan Kelly were very, very close. You know what I'm saying? This preseason, the Colts played through the first quarter on more than one occasion in this preseason. And there was no spark in the offense. No receiver not named Michael Pittman had stepped up. And while realistically, everyone had to look at it one way because all you could do is be optimistic, right? Okay, we only played, you know, quarter football here, quarter football there, right? You know, give it some time. You look at a game like this, and it's exactly the story that the preseason told. And, and that's why, for me, this game was particularly alarming, right? To have Alec Pierce and Ashton Doolin, who I like, and I think, as I've said before, is an X-factor on this team this year because he, he's one of very few receivers we've actually had here. Yeah. Um, to watch Pierce and Doolin drop the ball with all that's been said about the Colts receiving core this year and all that the, the fans understand, right, and we want to have optimism about the unit, for Paris Campbell to basically be held silent until some garbage-time 20-yard reception at the end of the game. Uh, and Pittman, obviously, is sensational, so he's left out of the conversation. Yeah. But you just look at that right there, and you say, this isn't good because this is exactly what we should have been worried about coming into the season, and it reared its ugly head uh, against a defense that no one would consider to be in the top half of football, right? No. You look at Jonathan Taylor carrying the ball 31 times, and you had moments where... You know, you almost felt like he could have had it more, which feels eerily similar to last year. 31 times now I'm watching this man run the ball. That can't be, that's not sustainable. No. That is not sustainable. You do end up wondering why Philip River, uh, Philip Rivers, why Philip Lindsay wasn't kept on this roster. I'm sure if I went position by position, I could do the math. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it would have been really nice to have a guy like Lindsay in a game like this to take seven carries or so. I mean, the Colts, if you look at this game, like just like in terms of time of possession, Turn like the whole. I mean, you would have thought the Colts won this one. You know what I'm saying? Which, yeah. Which is what makes it aggravating. And I want to be fair to Matt. He did everything he could. Uh, yeah. Not everything he could. Obviously, we stunk it up Towards for a while. End. Towards the Towards end. The end though, you're talking about. You're talking about 17 points unanswered in the fourth quarter, and then you put them in position ultimately to kick a 42-yard field goal. Who fucking? I can't even call him Hot Rod anymore. Fucking Cold Rod comes in, and he's fucking. <laughs> he, he brings that thing. <laughs> He puts it far right. And along with the fact, that's obviously one that now everyone knows about, and R.I.P. to Hot Rod. Oh, R.I.P. To, to Hot Rod and hello to Cold Rod, right? And now he's a free agent. Now he's, now he's free agent, Rod. So, <laughs> uh, <laughs> poor yeah. guy. Poor guy. Poor we respect the specs no more. Not only did he miss that field goal, for the entirety of his career with us, as well as in fucking, no matter how, and I know these guys, Rodrigo, Rigoberto, the whole deal. Yeah. Rigoberto Sanchez was our kickoff guy. And obviously he tore his Achilles. So we put Rodrigo on these duties. Two of them. out of ba- I mean, you're losing the field position battle. You put two yeah. of them yeah. out of about ba- when, when does that happen? Right? Yeah. When does that happen? So I look at it, and the kicker lost us a game, which is what a lot of people hate about that. But, I mean, we also had plenty of opportunities. Again, Matt Ryan, this is what the worst to me. Matt Ryan threw the ball 50 times, Asif. 50. Not a single receiver not named Michael Pittman had more than three receptions. 32 completions. Not a single receiver other than Michael Pittman made up for more than 25, not just the targets, the receptions. Made up for more than 25 and and deserved every one of them. This wide receiver room is going to have to step it up and God damn it, I'll be remiss if I don't talk about Frank. This... Jonathan Taylor, for as much... And listen, he didn't really do much that pissed me off in this game. It felt like in the beginning we just couldn't open up the offense. But again, the receivers, it's clear. It's clear we have we see, we seem to have a problem there. If not in the talent, just in terms of we, we clearly don't know who it is yet. Maybe as the season goes on, someone steps up. Uh, you know, there was reports of chemistry between Matt Ryan and Paris Campbell in, in training camps. There's a lot of that. Um, but it is what it is. Maybe someone steps up there, but... On a day that I say Jonathan Taylor, right, at 31 carries, this isn't sustainable. We say that's not sustainable because 31 carries is a lot of fucking carries. That's a lot of times to hand the ball to one person. In all of those 31 carries, how is it that we go for it on fourth down at the one, and instead of just getting under center and handing it to this fucking dude that we handed it to 31 <laughs> times over the course of the game, with based off of my calculator, 30 knots, I'm going to ask you to look something up, 31 times 17, that's 527 <laughs> carries over the course of a season, yeah. right? 31 yeah. carries is a lot of carries. 
How are you going to get cute? How are you going to get cute at the goal line right there? Just hand it to him. He averaged he 31 carries. He still averaged over five a carry. Yeah, I mean, he... He was sensational. He was sensational, and man. He and, was. Then at the, and then at the one-yard line, I don't, you know, sometimes Frank with the cute shit, but the point being is that this was a winnable game. It was a game we could have won. Um, yeah. And with that, you know, I hope that Jacksonville is better. I expect it to be. Um, but as we speak right now, and, and, and we're talking the 2021 MVP, um, I, you know, I don't even know. Aaron Rodgers, to be honest, haven't heard of him. Jonathan Taylor was the MVP of 2021. We have the MVP playing for the Indianapolis Colts. The reigning, defended, undisputed, undefeated, never lost a round. The MVP from last season playing in our uniform this year. Tell me how I go in in a week two matchup against the Jacksonville fucking Jaguars. And I think to myself, well, thank God we have this defense. Because I can't lie, going into this week, I think the Jaguars have a better offense. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah, man, I don't blame you for thinking that, bro, because there was like, that was, that was an, that was not a good performance, like for the first three and a half quarters of football, bro. Like that was just not good. Missed it was opportunity. Horrible. It was awful. It's like no one, it's like no one wanted to win. And again, by the end, and you know, we could just put this one on hot rod and let me just real quick, just as a sayonara at the hot rod, let me tell you a story about the first time I'd ever heard of this man before, anyone listening, because uh, it was actually before his days with the Colts. Uh, his last season in college, I had turned on a Georgia game with the intention, essentially, of his last game. I don't fucking know. I turned on a Georgia game with the intention of watching Jake Fromm. Hmm. This entire drive, they're completing their Georgia. They're completing passes. They're running the ball. No matter who gets the ball, no matter what catch is made, no matter what statistics are getting added up right now, all these fucking announcers do this entire drive is talk about this kicker that Georgia has. That's all they do. They said, this kicker's amazing. Let's see if he gets onto the field. But when have you ever heard this about a kicker? No, never right? heard this. In yeah. the middle of a game. In the middle of a game, right? So finally, they end up getting to a fourth down situation with a 44-yard field goal. And out trots this fellow in an interesting pair of glasses. And they start talking about his studies and this whole deal. His name, Rodrigo Blankenship. Right. Asif, this man comes out here after I basically just listened to an eight-minute sales pitch on the guy over the course of this drive, comes out and shanks a 44-yarder, very close to 42. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Shanks that thing far right. So the first time I'm seeing Rodrigo will be essentially the same as the last time I see yeah. Rodrigo. And for yeah, that, man. I say I am grateful. Rodrigo, I would thank you for the time, but quite frankly, today, you don't deserve it. <laughs> Although I must say, I did ride when he came when he came with the Heelys. For one day, I rejoiced. I said, that's my kicker. When he came in, that was a great move by Hot Rod. But seems like one of these guys, maybe that uh, he had a groin injury, tough. Greg the leg dealt with a, uh, dealt with a similar thing. Kicker maybe not the same after something like that. You just lose a little bit of that rotation. I wouldn't know much about it. I can't even get the ball ten feet off the ground. But yeah. I know that an NFL kicker is supposed to get it more than ten feet off the ground. Yeah, so yeah, I could, you would hope. I could still critique. Point being, we got to be better this week. But that receiver room's got to step up. If I were to take everything I just said and sum it up, it's a pathetic tie. Um, we got to be better against the Jaguars. Quite frankly, we would have won that game against the Texans. If so, not for a kicker or Alec Pierce or Ashton Doolin or mm-hmm. Frank Reich or Matt Ryan, right? We would have won right. that game if not yeah. for the entire roster. So let's see how they do <laughs> right. in this second game. I will stay optimistic, but I tell you right now, we are at a disadvantage. I'm still taking the Colts this week because I think mm-hmm. ultimately um, the gap between our defense – or rather our offense and their defense uh, is really more in our favor than theirs would be against our defense. So I'm just looking yep. at it as like, I think overall our team is, is still better than the Jaguars. Right. And I, and I, and I will take that, but the defense has got to play, man. Defense has got to show up. Yeah. Until the wide receiver steps up, the defense got to win these games for us. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And um, listen, maybe on the bright side of things here, Justin, Although it was against the Houston Texans, the division rival, a tie counts as half a win. And the Pittsburgh Steelers last year made the playoffs because they had a tie. 
right? So that's something that you can kind of have in your in your back pocket here as half a win, maybe later down the year, yep. later down to the year, because the AFC is loaded. That could play a little bit of a factor in the game as opposed to taking an L sure. or something like that. Even although hey, the win is something that's that you would want. We want, we want the win, but we hey, want the hey, win, listen. but L- listen. Luckily, we're in a division. Nobody won this week. Exactly. In the AFC I was South. Say, nobody and, and, and won. Quite, and, Nobody won, and uh, us and the Texans play each other. So, yeah. so that tells you something about the way that division is going to look this year. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. All right. I got nothing else to say about the Colts, man. I'm kind of, I let you kind of say everything you have to say about it. I think the Colts are still alive, man. I think they're going to come so, out next week and nah, play so a little bit I. better. So, so, so do I, but uh, I'm not I too, just... too concerned about the Colts. Um, like you said, their wide receiver room, their wide receivers need a little bit of work, but I think that's going to come with time. I think once they have – more continuity with Matt and Ryan, it's gonna it's gonna look good. It's gonna be better. All right. All right. Well, all right. So with that, Asif, uh, and for those listening, you know, I'm yeah. not sure if anyone anyone out there listening, if you've ever done a podcast before, but it's generally a collaborative experience when you're doing it with someone else, Asif, right? Yeah. Do this show together. We come up with ideas in advance. We prepare. We talk it over again, and then we present it to all of you listening on the other side of the microphone, the screen, the whole deal, right? Mm-hmm. Once in a while, we like to switch it up. That's why we have this new segment called On the Spot. So I have come in with a topic. How you like that? I've come in with a topic today that Asif, my counterpart, does not know yet. We didn't discuss it. I have no clue. No clue. No clue. I actually forgot we were doing this segment. So this is uh, (laughs) even more so on the spot than we thought, right? Right. So we didn't discuss this in advance. He hasn't prepared. I'm just going to bring up the topic. It's his responsibility to basically get the conversation going, say whatever he feels need be about the topic that I'm about to present. So, Asif, you are on the spot. Yep. My topic for you is who is the most overrated wide receiver in football? Oh, boy. That is a the most overrated receiver in football. Wow. There's so many receivers, too, in the NFL. I got to run through some of these guys, man. Oh, God. Wow, there's a lot of dudes. This, this is, is on the one. spot, baby. This is on the this spot, on, baby. This this is on the spot. You're not kidding. Because there's a lot of because dude, there's some good there's some really good receivers in the NFL. I was about to say, I was I'm gonna, out loud, baby. All right, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna say it, and I'm not doing this because I'm I'm not trying to be a hater here. But uh, I'm gonna say CD Lamb. I think For fuck's CD, sake. I'm gonna say CD Lamb, bro. You can't be a number one wide receiver and have a drop problem, bro. That's just not how it goes. Uh, you could also say Allen Robinson too, but I think he's also just been around bad quarterbacks his whole career. Uh, and I think he's going to be better with the Rams this year than not. So we'll wait and see. But C.D. Lamb, there's a lot of hype around this dude about how he's going to take the helm for, from Amari Cooper where they got rid of Amari Cooper. And only now the Dallas Cowboys ask him to prove that he has to be a number one wide receiver. Well, listen, you got rid of a guy who Dak Prescott, was. that was his favorite target. And that was a guy that made him better every single year. And they got rid of him because you, C.D. Lamb, are on the roster. And you come in, and you have two catches for 29 yards, and you have like three or four drops? Brother, you're the number one receiver on the Dallas Cowboys. You gotta make plays. You can't come in with top five talent that everyone says you have and put up a performance like that. So, again, this is off. This is on the spot. I'm not going to spend the time and really run through every single wide receiver because there's so many of them. But the name that comes to my head that I would say is overrated might just be CeeDee Lamb. I think he's going to be, like, I think eventually he'll be a good number one. But right now, he's a really good number two. And that's my stance on that. All right. Yeah. Well, and that would be that. And now we transition into the final segment of today's episode which will be mostly Asif. As you see, he's in an Eagles jersey. Yes, I am. So now we're going to be talking about the Eagles, right? This is the longstanding thing of this show. We always talk about the Colts. We always talk about the Eagles. Because quite frankly, this is who we're a fan of. You know, we're going to talk about fucking football. I mean, we watch it every week. So with that, in one of the highest scoring games of this week, I'm not sure if it actually is, didn't lock that down before I came in today. I think it was, though. I I think think it was. was. It was was 73 combined. You're talking 38-35. I didn't catch a shitload of the game, uh, despite the fact that it was three points. To me, it looked like uh, the box score is also telling me that that's true. That it, despite the fact that it was three points, it was really the Lions coming up, clawing from behind, right? The whole deal. Yeah. Using their, their claws like, like 
lions roar. Or... Yeah, 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 I got gotcha. you. Point, point, point. <laughs> That's yeah, good. The, right? Yeah, it's fine. It, it could have been delivered better, but, you know, we're on the fly, right? We like to see a little Miles Sanders showing. Right? Yes, I we believe do. J- Jalen Hurts, did he lead the carry, the team in carries, Asif? He led the team in carries. Yes, he did. Yes, he and did. then A.J. Brown exploded, right? That's what those playing fantasy football would know about this game. And those who didn't watch the Eagles maybe don't play fantasy. All you would know is that Jalen Hurts ran a lot. A.J. Brown exploded. And then for mm-hmm. people like me, we like to see that Miles Sanders did well in fantasy too, right? Yes, he did. Now, for those who aren't privy to it like you, Asif, please... Give me your thoughts. Tell me what happened in this Eagles game. Well, first off, let me just say I'm very happy that the Eagles took W in this game. Their offense answered questions that I had coming into the year. I wanted to know how A.J. Brown would look with Jalen Hurts. I wanted to know if Miles Sanders would have a resurrection and show how talented he really is. I think he did that. We came in and we have an identity on this team. It's something that I have been really preaching since maybe week five or six of last year. We're a running football team. We have maybe the best offensive line in the game, if not top three or top five. One of the best units in the league. We came out of this game with four rushing touchdowns, 216 yards rushing. Sanders had a great day. Gainwell put in some work. Boston Scott had some valuable touches. And Jalen Hurts, for all of the criticism, and hell, I've given him criticism too, he came out and answered the bell. He came out and he looked good throwing the ball. The offense looked smooth. Everybody got a fair share, maybe except Devontae Smith, but that I think will get fixed later on in the year. This was the game one. A.J. Brown had that big play up the sideline, made a huge impact right in the game. Dallas Goddard looked good. Nick Sirianni called a great game. I didn't like the fact that Jalen Hurts carried the ball 17 times, but hey, you got to do what you got to do because at that point in the offensive sequence, we weren't scoring any points. He got a touchdown, and then the floodgates opened. But let me just say, this defense, though, I came into this year hyped for what this defense could potentially do. And the additions that they made with Hassan Reddick, because you're white. We added James Bradbury, traded for Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. We drafted N'Kobe Dean, Jordan Davis, uh, uh, Keyshawn, uh, what's his name, Johnson from one of the linebackers that we drafted in the sixth round. We drafted all these guys. We added all these players. We had Jarkrisky Tart is on the uh, Tart is now in the secondary. We have all this talent here now. We came with one sack out of this game, and I thought coming into this year, despite but besides the offensive line, this front seven I thought was going to establish himself as maybe a top five unit in football. And we tried to address passion because last year we didn't blitz enough. We didn't get any pressure on the quarterback. And we came away with one sack despite all of these improvements. So that's something I did not like. I did not like the fact that we gave up 35 points against the Detroit Lions. And I get it. They play hard. They fight hard and stuff. But, bro, beginning of the game, they were pushing us around. Like, they were really punching us in our mouth. They came out. The gates, DeAndre Swift, uh, DeAndre Swift came with 144 yards rushing. They came and just absolutely did what we did to the Lions. Three touchdowns rushing in the goal line. We couldn't stop a nosebleed, but sometimes it's better to be lucky than good. Jared Goff throws a pass. It gets tipped in the air. James Bradbury takes it to the house, and that's right after Jalen Hurts scores our first offensive touchdown, and that's when the floodgates open, and that's when, like you said, the Eagles took advantage and took control of the game. So all in all, I'm happy with the way we performed. I'm excited to see how this unit's going to develop even more, and I think Jalen Hurts this year is going to answer the call about how he's looked as a thrower because to me, Justin... He looked like his reads were there. He looked crisp throwing the ball. It wasn't inaccurate. It wasn't inconsistent. And people want to point to the completion percentage. You can kiss my ass about the completion percentage because it's an overrated stat. Anyway, if the right decision is to throw away the damn ball, you throw away the damn ball. So, all in all, very, very happy with how he came out. We got the W against a team that fights very hard. And I think Detroit's going to give a lot of teams run for their money. Uh, And we have a very favorable schedule this year. So, I think we can come out, and if the offense looks like this, we can come up and put up 31 points. <whistles> NFC better watch out because there's not a lot of teams in the NFC right now. A lot of weaker, a lot of teams not looking like themselves at the moment. So, Philadelphia, stand up. We had a great week, great week one, heading into week two. Jalen Hurts, 
my dog. You look good this year. You look good this game, man. I'm very proud of you. Next year, Ariana called a good game and just got to get this defense to step up a little bit. That's all. As long as you adjust that on the defensive side of the ball. We are straight. I'm very, very, pl- I'm very, very pleased with this performance by the Philadelphia Eagles. So that's my take. Fly, Eagles, fly, baby. Ecstatic. Perfect. Beautiful. All right. And then with the Eagles, I believe, Asif, if you have any closing words, that's all she wrote, right, for the episode. That's all I got. Congratulations on the other end. You made it. Thank you so much for listening to us today. After all, without you, there is no show, no matter how much we make. Not no matter, I mean, how, no matter how much we produce content, really, right? No matter right. how much better we get, not no matter how we make nothing. No matter how much we freaking make content, you hold the keys to this show's success. We can try as hard as we want, mm-hmm. but it's right. about you. So, Asif, with that... A yeah. something to tell them, do you not? I do. If you like what you heard and you want to travel with us and keep up to date with us, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and we're on YouTube as well to keep up with future episodes. Subscribe there. We also have an Instagram page at the Riding the Bench Podcast with a K instead of C in the word podcast. And if you're already a subscriber looking for another way to help us grow the show, we'd ask that you leave a review if you're listening to the audio version, Apple, Spotify. Or just leave a thumbs up if you're watching the video, right? Asif says subscribe. Uh, if you don't want to subscribe, you're not there quite yet. Well, actually, I suppose I'm speaking to someone who... Asif, I'm trying to customize this too much. I'm speaking right. to someone who's already subscribed, so don't unsubscribe, please. Just don't press the yeah. button. Please do not press the button, all right? We need you here. We need you here, all right? We need you here. Yeah. Leave, a th- leave a thumbs up on the video. If you want to comment, go ahead, too. We'll be looking at those. And last of all, if you could do us one more favor... Outside of all those things, just share this with one person who you know loves the NFL as much as you do and as much as me and Justin do here at Riding the Bench. If you do that, that would be a huge, huge help for us. So with that, everybody, my name is Asif, your resident Eagle fan. Across the camera is my boy Justin, who's the resident Colts fan. You just listened to the Riding the Bench podcast. Thank you so much today. We'll see you right here on the bench next time at the Riding the Bench.